Well, good morning. Hey, uh, you may not have realized this, but we got all of our HVAC units working this week. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, we, uh, part of our upgrade has been getting our HVAC units going. Now we just got to figure out how those thermostats work. So some of you walked into this auditorium and you go, oh, finally, this feels wonderful. Some of you have lost seven pounds already like I have. So... Uh, wherever you find yourself, we'll get it figured out. That uh, Thanks for uh, bearing with us. Uh, we're glad that you are here today. Uh, man, God is doing some really great things in this season. As Daniel mentioned, we have close to a thousand people have already RSVP'd and it's only December 10th. Uh, God is doing some really cool things and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, but most of all, what I love is this is a season where there are so many people who are open to an invitation. They're open to hearing about who this Jesus is and why the world makes such a fuss. And uh, we have the opportunity to share that story uh, in some really creative and, and really special ways. And we love to be able to do that. We love, that's what we do on a Sunday leading into those moments. Um, but most of all, I believe that the message of Jesus changes us to our core. It changes how we behave. It changes the things we prioritize. Uh, even as a church family, we want to be known as a church that makes a difference beyond our walls. What we do here on a weekly basis isn't just for us. It's so that God can do something in us and through us so that when we leave, we take that message into the world. Uh, that's the heart behind a lot of the things we do, such as our above and beyond offering that we receive every end of December. We use that offering to be able to fund the outreach for the following year, to be able to help fuel our For the One vision campaign and meet our needs, but most of all, to make a difference beyond these walls. And so as you've been uh, hearing us talk about over the last few days, a few weeks of this month, uh, we're encouraging everyone who calls Heritage their church home, that as we finish our year, we're trying to finish as strong as we can. We make as many decisions as we can to be as good stewards of our resources, but we want to be a blessing. We want to be able to meet the needs of our church and beyond. And so uh, we're just encouraging everyone just throughout the month of December, would you pray how God can use you to make a significant impact this Christmas and to give to our above and beyond offering, be a part of that. It's amazing what God is able to do when we give him our little. He does uh, some pretty significant things. So uh, it's a privilege for us to be able to do that and uh, pray that you would just pray about how God would uh, use you to be a part of that as well. Um, as we start into this series, uh, we've been taking some time just kind of preparing for Christmas. And as we move a little bit closer to Christmas, we're looking at the purpose and the life of Jesus and why he came into the world. We felt like that's kind of an appropriate thing. Right As we start to head into Christmas and we begin to celebrate Jesus, and a lot of us, let's say, we know that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? I mean, we've, we've heard it, we, we proclaim it, but have you ever been like me? You get caught up pretty quickly and doing a whole lot of other things that aren't really about Jesus in this season, and you kind of need to like refresh your perspective, kind of realign your heart, just kind of take a moment and just remind everybody, remind yourself, like, hey, let, let's... Let's not lose sight of what this is all about and the reason why Christmas is so significant. That's kind of what this series has been all about. And so we've been using a verse that's found in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus himself explained, Here, here's why I came. Here's why I came into this world. He says, I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. You said, this is the reason that I came into this world. It has been the beginning of time. There has been a plan to reconcile creation back to its creator. 
And so Jesus is just reminding a whole lot of people who think they know what life is about or how God behaves. And Jesus says, let me just tell you why I came, why the son of God is here, why the Messiah was sent into the earth. I have come so that you may have life and not just any kind of life. I want you to have life overflowing. I want it to be life to the full, but here's the secret. The secret to the Christmas story is that life to the full the life that Jesus came to bring can often seem countercultural, maybe even counterintuitive to what we think a wonderful life is all about. You see, culturally, we think a wonderful life is one marked with comfort. And if I just have everything I need and I feel comfortable, man, what a, what a great life. Uh, we think a, a wonderful life is often marked with wealth or fame or power. But here's the thing, when Jesus came, he didn't come with any of that. He didn't come into the earth wielding power. In fact, it seemed like he came into the world with weakness. Now, was he weak? Not really, right? We understand that Jesus is a part of the Trinity and he's been there from the very beginning, full of power, full of presence from the very beginning of creation. In fact, Philippians chapter two says Jesus chose to put on weakness and made himself nothing. Right, the question I want to ask today is just why? Right, well, why would Jesus choose to do that? Well, why would God and Jesus sit there and choose to bring Jesus into humanity? And he would, he would choose two just ordinary people, right? And not, not, not much power by all accounts, kind of poor, socially insignificant, why would God choose to come into humanity this way? Jesus wouldn't be born into like the epicenter of the world. No, instead he was born in the, this just really small, forgettable place. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. Have you ever wondered why? Like why would that all unfold that way? I mean, after all, God has been planning this from the very beginning of time. So why choose weakness over power for the entrance of the Messiah. Have you ever had that question in your mind? No, just me. That's all right. I got a lot of time during the week just to think about these things. So I get it. You're busy. You got stuff to do, right? So I'm doing the thinking for us. I wonder why, why would God choose to enter into humanity the way that he did? It makes, it makes no sense. Why choose to enter with weakness rather than with power? Because right? don't you think it would be a whole lot easier Think about your own life. If God revealed himself in spectacular fashion to you, you probably wouldn't have as many questions and doubts, maybe a wishy-washy commitment to your faith sometimes, because you know that you know that you know that God is who he is. He's real, right? You ever been there? Right? Wouldn't that just make a whole lot more sense for all of humanity to get the benefit of that? So why would God choose weakness over power? As you read through the story of scripture, here's what I think it comes down to. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can kind of write this down. We're, we're going to kind of unpack this as we go. Here's what I think this comes down to. Weakness welcomes the presence of God. Weakness welcomes the presence of God. That was true then, and I believe that it's true now. Jesus was born in weakness because he came for a weak people. And that weak people needed to see the power of God, right? But here's the thing. If, 
If I was Jesus, I got to be honest, that's not how I would have done it. Right? If I was in like the strat-up meeting between God and, and the Trinity, the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and we're sitting there thinking, all right, we know what's going to happen. We, we want this creation that we create to be in relationship with us, but they've got to choose what that looks like for them. And they've made a decision to do life on their terms, right? And that's the separation, sin entered into the world. How do we restore this back? How do we bring them back into relationships so that we can do what we set out to do from the very beginning? And, and in that little strat-op session on how we're going to send a Messiah to cover the sins of the world, past, present, and future, you know the one idea, if I was Jesus, I never would have brought to the whiteboard? What if I turned into a baby and I came into this world in a barn? That's not going to be one of those ideas. I just won't think of it. So if I was in the strat session, to be honest, you know what I would think of? I think I would probably enter into humanity like Apollo Creed did the first time he fought Rocky. Like I would just be like dancing. I'd have dancers around me. I'd have all kinds of like banners and lights and everyone. I mean, it would be a spectacular demonstration so that everybody knew who I was. That would be the way I would come in. I would want the entire world to be impressed. Right? But here's the thing. God knows something that we often forget. You know what it is? I'll tell you. Good question. Here's what it is. The more margin that weakness creates, the more space for God's power to be demonstrated. Right? Let, me, let me say that again. The more margin that weakness creates, the more space for God's power to be demonstrated. So I just wonder, I wonder if this was the reason why God said, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to enter into humanity in a way that no one would ever expect the creator of the universe to enter into. We're going to come in a way that no one would think because this is going to be an opportunity for my power to be on full display. See, if you think about it, if, if Jesus had been born in a palace to a powerful family, I think people could have kind of discounted him and said, yeah, but, but look what being born into power can do, right? You've got all kinds of things going your way. If Jesus had been born in a, in a noble city, people could have discounted Jesus and said, yeah, but, but look what happens when just being born into the right situation can do. If Jesus had been born to educated people or people with influence, people could have looked back at Jesus and, and his life and the mission and the purpose and all that he's accomplished and said, yeah, but, but look what education could do. Look what privilege can do. Look what being born in the right time and, and in the right family or in the right situation can do. But when Jesus was born in weakness, all anyone can do is say, man, look what God can do. You see, weakness welcomes the presence of God. And this was true of the Christmas story, and I think it's true for us today. You know, over the last few months, if you've been here with us at all, we've been talking a lot about a man in the Bible named Paul. Uh, Paul had a just amazing conversion experience through the work of Jesus in his life. He did this complete 180, and he went from being a guy who persecuted Christ followers in the church to actually leading the charge for the cause of Christ. In fact, about two-thirds of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. 
He planted churches all over the early world, and much of what churches do today is a result of, of God's leading and God's teaching through the Apostle Paul. But what I love about the Apostle Paul is just how honest he was. And as you read in some of the letters that the Apostle Paul would write to the churches that he planted, one, one letter in particular we're going to look at, Paul kind of confessed he struggled a little bit with his whole idea of wrapping his head around weakness. Initially, he just couldn't understand. He didn't, didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense because that was so counterintuitive. That was so countercultural to the world that he grew up in. But he begins to kind of wrap his head around this and he starts to celebrate his weakness in a letter that he writes to a church in this town called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a city that was putting a premium on power and strength and, and wealth and influence, at least the appearance of power and strength. Right? And Paul gets word that this church started to kind of get sideways a little bit, started to grumble and complain, started to kind of abuse the, the, the grace that Jesus came to bring. And so he tries to sit down and he tries to write them a letter. And in this, he begins by just kind of starting off saying, hey, let me just, let me just remind you about where I came from. I was actually born into the right family. I was very well educated. I have a long list of successes in my life. There is a massive list of accomplishments in my life, but, but he wants to make it really clear for them and for them to understand. Hey, listen, don't, don't get it twisted though. Don't, don't get it twisted. It's actually God's power through my weakness that's given him opportunity and has made him effective. It's not about his strength or his power. It's actually all about God's. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul is telling them something that God reminded Paul of himself. And so he starts down and he writes this out in chapter 12, verse 9. This is, this is what he says. He said, hey, let me, just, let me just tell you what God has reminded me. And hopefully it's something that will help you. He says, my grace is all you need. And some of your translations may say, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, God tells Paul, Paul, listen, you need to understand, my grace is never not enough. And no matter what you're facing, no matter what circumstance you're in, no matter what relationship you seem to be struggling with at the time, Paul, I just want you to know my grace is just enough. It, it's sufficient. Right? And then God says, here's how my power works, Paul. My grace is all that you need. And in the very next verse, he says, my power works best in weakness. I love it. So you know what the apostle Paul says next? He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of God or the power of Christ can work through me. Right? Paul says, Here, here's what God began to show me. Paul, my grace is all that you need. It's never not going to be enough. In fact, Paul, you need to understand, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul goes, I say, all right, God, if that's true, then I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about the fact that I don't have as much control or power as I thought I did. I'm going to boast about all the things that are screwed up and messed up in my life so that your power can be put on display in my life, right? Which is crazy, isn't it? Because if you're anything like me, I want to hide my weaknesses. I just, I don't want people to see them. In fact, I work really hard at making sure people don't see me as weak or, or needy. 
or helpless. Because oftentimes, if we're being honest, we, we want to be perceived as strong. Right? We want to be perceived as powerful or a valuable asset or like we are in control. But here, here's what I love. Paul says, well, okay, if that's true, God, if your grace is all that I need, if your power is put on display in my weaknesses, then all right. If that's what unlocks the power of God, then I'm going to boast. I'm going to delight in my weaknesses. If he could, I think he would have taken out Facebook ads. And just a long list, hey, here's the stuff I'm messed up in. Put billboards up all over town. Here's the things that I'm, I'm falling short in. Here's the stuff that I, I pretend like I'm good at, but man, I know the real me. I, I know I have some weaknesses, but I want you all to understand it's not me that is strong. It's like, I just want the power of God on display in my life. Right? And in this passage, we see something really powerful. Paul experienced something that we need to be reminded of, and it's this. You can't experience the full power of God in your life if you are consumed with keeping up appearances. If you're consumed with kind of managing and maintaining your image, if you think power and influence is what makes you significant, Paul says you're not going to be able to experience the full power of God. Right, you can do those things, and for a while it may seem like it scratches an itch, makes you feel like you're something. He's like, but just understand, you, you are missing out on the power of God. So Paul says in verse 9, so I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the difficulties I love it. Look what he says next. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, weakness creates some margin for the power of God to be put on display in our life. The Apostle Paul began to experience this. Jesus came into this world so that we would understand it. And so Paul goes, all right, God, if this is true, if this is what unlocks the power of God in my life, and God, man, I, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses because I want the power of God. So whenever I feel weak or insignificant or discounted or underqualified, man, I realize that that's just setting you up to put your power on display. You see, with the Apostle Paul talks about that, that's a powerful life. That's what life to the full actually begins to look like. It's strength, it's power even in our weakness. And here's why I want us to understand the time that we got left. There is so much freedom. There is so much freedom when we discover that life is not about us. It's not about our limited power. It's not about our strength or our successes or our way of doing things. There is so much freedom when we understand that we're broken and we're weak and it's an opportunity for God's power to be put on full display in our life. And so here's what that could mean for us. Our greatest weakness may very well be God's greatest platform. Our greatest weakness may very well be God's greatest power. Here's what that means. The very things in our life that we often try to hide the things that maybe we feel ashamed of or embarrassed by, or we regret. 
feel limited by or limited from, those may become the very things that God uses to demonstrate his power, his healing in your life. It may become the greatest platform that God has to be able to to do something special and so that other people who have experienced similar seasons, made maybe some similar decisions, they too get to experience hope because they see God's power on display in and through your life. And and listen to me, I just wrote this this morning. I don't know if there's someone here that God specifically brought to hear this, but I think you need to listen. You need to hear this well today. As you read the story of Jesus, the, the heart of God, you need to understand something. Your mistakes, your limitations, the things that you feel ashamed of and disqualified for, your weaknesses, they don't cause God to withdraw from you. In fact, everything in this book would tell you those are the very things that God wants to be invited into. And some of us, we just might need to be reminded of that today. Those mistakes that we wish we could get back, the hurt, the decisions that we regret, the stuff that we've done that nobody else knows, but, but we know it. And man, it's a limitation when we come into God's presence. It's a limitation in our relationships. And we always just kind of assume, God, man, I, I'm going to keep you at arm's length because I don't feel worthy enough. I just need you to hear today. Your weaknesses, your imperfections, it doesn't cause God to withdraw from you. Those are the very things that God is waiting for you to invite him in. To allow God to heal your heart. To allow God to show his power on display. And to be able to turn those things in your life when you're ready for God to use them to make a difference in the lives of others. Right? So the question is, well, how do we do that? How do we actually learn how to delight in our weaknesses, right? If it's the key to experiencing the power of God, how do we learn to delight in our shortcomings, right? To be able to sit and have some honesty to go, God, I, I know I'm a mess. And I, I invite you in. How do we learn to do what Paul is saying to do? To be able to boast about our weaknesses, to delight in those things. If that's what unlocks the power of God, how do we do that? Here's the best answer that I can give you. The way that you learn to boast about your weaknesses, right? To be able to be okay enough inviting God into your weakness. Here's how you learn to boast. You ready? The answer is simple. We do this by making much of Jesus. Right? Immediately some of you go, that's it? Like, oh, all right, I'm in. I'm a fan of the guy. I have no problem just making much of you. Like, I can do that. Right? But there's more, Right? The way that we begin to experience the power of God in our life, the way that we begin to learn how to unlock this by boasting in our weaknesses is we make much of Jesus and less of ourselves. Oh, some of you are like, no, 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 no. I, like, I'm, I'm all good with cheering Jesus on. But man, I, I don't want to make much of myself. Like, I, I, I deserve these things. This is the way I think. Man, I, I, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have my way. But here's the reality. If you want to unlock the power of God in your life, you want to experience a wonderful life, you want life to the full, it begins by making much of Jesus and less of ourselves. Right, and let's just be honest. This has never been easy. 
especially in the world that we live in today, right? This world, our culture, it disciples us to make much of ourselves, our way of thinking, our preferences, our rights. That's the most important thing in the world. And if anyone tries to step in the way of that, then you need to step up. This culture tells us make much of ourselves. And I think one of the reasons it's so difficult to delight in our weaknesses, right, to make less of ourselves, is that we're constantly measuring ourselves by productivity and accomplishments. We've been taught to do this from a very young age, right? And so knowing this, let's say this another way. To celebrate your weaknesses, don't measure your worth by what you accomplish. To celebrate your weaknesses, don't measure your worth by what you accomplish. Here's what I mean by this. I'll give myself as kind of the example for today's lesson. There we go. The more I learn about myself, the more I allow God to work on my own heart, the more I've had to realize that I actually really struggle with this. The more I discover how much of me, how much value, how much worth, how much my illusion of strength and power is connected to what I think I can produce or accomplish, the more I begin to cover up, manage my image, try to maintain the way certain things look and feel. See, the truth is we, we have bought into this lie that, that the evidence of a powerful life, well, that's usually someone who has accomplished certain things in life. They've gotten to certain places, certain levels, certain statuses in their own mind and in the opinions in the eyes of others. And if I'm being really transparent with you, here's what I'm starting to learn more about myself. I pray as if life depends on God. But if I'm being honest, I live as if life depends on me. This is why I feel like I have such a hard time resting and being content or at peace because I often attach my worth and my value to being productive and being rested and being tired or feeling a little wiped out. It just feels weak. And at the core of this, I'm starting to discover how comfortable I am with being helped. I don't want to be helped. I want to be the helper. I don't want to need rescued. I want to be the rescuer. And as noble as that may sound, it is incredibly dysfunctional because there is only one rescuer. There is only one savior. There is only one helper. And his name's not Skylar, it's Jesus. And so when I begin to think that I don't need those things, I'm basically communicating in my heart and to everyone else around me. I don't need a savior. I'm my own God. And that is an incredibly unhealthy and dysfunctional perspective to have. And the more I allow God to come in and remind me that my grace is all that you need, that my power is put on display in your weaknesses, it begins to put my heart in its proper perspective. And most importantly, it puts the creator of the world on his proper throne in my life. And I'm needing to be reminded of this on a constant basis. You ready for more confession? 
Some of you are like, man, this guy is seriously messed up. <laughs> yeah, this is how we how work it out. Work it out here. Here's the thing. Here, here it is. If I'm being really honest, I often think that God will love me. That God will bless me. That God will bless our church more. If I can just show God how hard I am doing. Because then God's going to reward me for my hard work. But the more I acknowledge my weakness, the more I'm starting to realize there is a gap between me theoretically knowing my worth and value is found in the work of Jesus, but living my life as if it all depends on me. And so I wonder if the reason Jesus came into this world was so that I could have life and life to the full, man, I'm going to set you free from this thinking that you have to earn God's love. That if you're just more powerful, more successful, got to that next level, that somehow then God would be pleased with you. Instead, realizing this love that I'm working for, God has given to me, and it has nothing to do with what I bring to the table. So, man, if you've ever been there before, if you've ever gotten really caught up on thinking that what you do is who you are, or what you produce is what gives you value or significance or worth, let me just, let me just set you free today. Jesus came so that you can have life and life to the full. And maybe that means for you that he's going to set you free from realizing that you don't have to measure your worth by what you accomplish. That being able to say, God, I have no clue how to do this. I need some help. God, I can't figure this all on my own. I feel like I've got the weight of responsibility on me and I, I just can't carry that on my own. Maybe God just said, that's why I came, so that I could set you free. So that you'd have to live under that yoke. You don't have to live under that burden. I think another reason why it's so difficult to delight in our weaknesses, to, to make less of ourselves is, is that we're constantly managing our image because we're so concerned with what others think. And so knowing this, let me, let me say it another way. To celebrate your weaknesses Lessen your grip on what you think others are thinking. You want to learn what it looks like to put God's power on full display? What it looks like to boast in your weakness? Start here. Lessen your grip on what you think others are thinking. Right? And here's the thing. You might even know what they're thinking because they've said it to others. And somehow it begins to trickle back to you. Which can I just tell you, almost always happens. And this is going to happen because it's human nature. We love to talk, don't we? We love to try to fill in the blanks. We love to make assumptions about people. I think we live in a culture that feels pretty confident and our ability to determine the motive and the condition of everyone else's heart or life. 
I'm just telling you, as a pastor, I have a front row seat to this. I've seen it and I've experienced it. And here's the thing, the human nature that's in us is that we want to care about other people's opinions, right? We, we want others to love us. And when we feel there's mistruth, we want to share the truth. We want to correct wrong perspectives. We want to guard against other people's negative perceptions about us. But you know what this often results in? It results in us spending a lot of our time and a lot of our energy consumed with what we think others are thinking. And so you know what I've been discovering as I try to put the Apostle Paul's words into practice, right? To begin celebrating my weakness so that God's power can be put on display, right? So that God can be made strong, make me strong in him. You know what I'm starting to discover more and more? It's that I'm a mess. I'm a total mess. Now I am broken and I'm in desperate need of a savior to forgive me and to heal me and to make me whole. And here's the thing, I have a longer list of weaknesses than any of you ever will know. And some of you have shared plenty of my weaknesses with others. You haven't even scratched the surface of the things that are messed up in my heart and my life. And here's the deal, as I start to go, okay God, if this is true, if your grace is all that I need, if you are sufficient, if your power is made powerful, my weakness, then God, let me boast. I am a mess. I know I have things, God, that grieve your heart. I know I have things I wish were different about the way I act or respond. God, I know I've got problems. I know I've got issues. And I'm telling you, when I begin to say that before the Lord, there is a sense of freedom that comes. When I realize I don't have to manage what others think about me. Because what you think about me doesn't really matter. And so here's what I've also discovered. At the end of the day, what others think and say often says a lot more about them than it says about you. I don't have to be consumed with the opinions of everybody else. I don't have to feel like I have to maintain an image or a perception. And one of the things is I begin to say, okay, God, your grace, it's sufficient. It's all I need. God begins to remind my heart when I'm in situations where I feel the need to defend something, correct my perspective or their perspective. God whispers my heart, listen, man, listen for the truth. Man, hear it. Let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. If there's something there that you need to hear, hear it, take it. But just remember that so often... What others think and say has a lot more to say about them than it does about you. What's spread around, what trickles back to you because they had no problem saying it to others, they just wouldn't say it to your face. But it trickles back. And so you're living with this mindset that man, I just gotta always be on guard. I gotta make sure that my perceptions, my image, that people see me in a certain light and I'm gonna make sure everybody knows. And we all of a sudden, we start finding conversations and people that we can try to rally some people and some support around. And here's the secret sauce that Paul discovered. There is so much freedom when I begin to delight in my weakness. That is actually life to the full. 
that I I don't have to spend so much time and energy getting people to like me. I I don't have to spend so much time and energy to shape narratives or manage perceptions. I don't have to correct perspectives against me. I don't have to chase down and confront mistruths. My value isn't determined by what others think of me. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell everybody. Hey, listen, you don't have to do all this work. At the end of the day, know where your identity is found. Let the Holy Spirit work in you and through you grow and change. Let God call some things on the carpet. And guess what? He's going to use some people in your life to call some things on the carpet of your heart. It's like, man, let me work in that. But man, don't think your identity is attached to what you've done or who others say you are. It says you are a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And he is all that you need. So instead of trying to pretend like you don't have issues, instead, boast in them. Create some platforms for God to do a work in and through your heart and through your life. See, the truth is, I'm probably much worse than what others think of me. I know I'm a mess. Can I just tell you, that's why I celebrate the good news of the gospel so much. This is what makes room for God's grace to be sufficient for me, to be all that I need. And so when I get caught up in what I think others are thinking, it's usually because I'm making much of myself. And so for as much as I want others to think well of me. As much as I want to curate a strong image, as much as I want to accomplish great things, it is in weakness that I actually get to experience God's power to the full. And so like Paul, I get to sit and go, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Right? Which as we said, it's, it's hard for us to do, isn't it? In fact, I got to tell you, I try in my own strength to remind myself to make much, not make much of me every day. It's part of my prayer process. It's part of my pattern. When I do my devotions, I kind of say some of those things. And God, I don't want to make much of me today. I want to make much of you. But can I just tell you, I fail spectacularly at it. Usually before I drop kids off at school, I've already failed spectacularly and making much of, my, of Jesus and less of myself. So how can we become less so that our weaknesses create room for God's power? Well, the Gospel of John, where we read this series, this theme verse, in the first few chapters, it recalls a man by the name of, of John the Baptist. And he's a guy who caused quite a stir, kind of preparing the way for the Messiah, Jesus. He didn't take credit for any of it. In fact, he wouldn't even give his name when he's pressed by religious officials. And people go, who do you think you are to say all these things? He just simply said, I'm a voice. I'm just making a clear path for the Lord. In John chapter three, John the Baptist gives us the answer on how we can actually become less. And here's the thing. It's not by willpower or trying really hard in our own strength. 
The answer is found in John chapter 3, verse 30. He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Friends, listen to me. The, the only way for us to begin to celebrate our weaknesses, to unleash the power of God in our lives, for us to experience a wonderful life, life to the full, is that he must become greater. The greater Jesus becomes in our life, the less we tend to focus on our way of life. The less life becomes about us. And when we recognize our brokenness, our need for a savior, and we begin to celebrate our weaknesses, God's power is put on display and our lives begin to point to the light of the world. And so friends, here's my encouragement for you as you head into this season where we celebrate the reason Jesus came. Can I just encourage you? Embrace the weakness. Embrace your insecurities. Embrace those misguided ways we find our identity or our value or our worth. And instead, invite Jesus into those places and watch God work. Jesus came so that you may have life and life to the full, a wonderful life filled with power. Less of me and more of God. That's what Jesus came for you to experience. And I know that's counterintuitive. It seems a little countercultural to what we do in this world. But if you want a life on this earth that is overflowing, begin by making less, life less about you and more about Jesus. Allow your weaknesses to be the very things that God uses to put his power on display. Can I pray with you this morning? God, thanks for who you are. Thank you for the ways that you meet us, the ways that you speak to us. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that as we head into this season, Lord, that we begin to just have an honest conversation with you and go, God, I mean, you have my heart. And so, Lord, I give it all to you. I invite you into my weaknesses, the areas I need to grow in, the areas that I need to see you at work in that I don't even know yet. God, I invite you into it all. And I pray that when I invite you in, your power is put on display, that you begin to do the work in me that you want to do so that, so that the light of Jesus can be reflected through my life. You have given us a new identity for those of us who have surrendered our life in Christ in you. And we're not our past. We're not our mistakes. We're not what we think others think. We are who you've called and created us to be. God, would you give us a glimpse? Give us that moment where we get to see us and we get to see others the way you do. So God, may we boast in our weaknesses. May we invite you in. For when we are weak, that is when you are made strong. Thank you for the gift of Jesus who came to set us free. Not just from our sins, but from us. 
as we head in these next few weeks, align our hearts with yours. Remind us, refresh our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Heritage Church, we love you. Thanks for being a part of what God is doing in this season. Invite someone to come back with you as we continue this series and head into Christmas Eve. As you go, we have some really special sweet treats to celebrate Christmas. Grab an invite card. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll have people down front to pray. If you just want to get up and leave while I'm talking, you can do that too, whatever you want. Uh, You know, just do your thing. Love you. Have a great week.